Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Startup Hand Me Downs, the podcast where us young founders ask our burning questions to successful entrepreneurs and thought leaders. Today, me and Phil are interviewing James Poulter, who's the founder of Pronto, which is basically a simpler version of Just Eat, where you uh, it's one click and you order the best food in your local area. So uh, James has a crazy, crazy story of how he founded Pronto from days of sleeping uh, on the floor of his warehouse uh, to where Pronto is today, where it's become very well known in London. Um, so it's a really cool story of just how much hustle this uh, young guy has. And um, he comes from a, a very unique background from the world of VCs. So look out for the parts when he's talking about de-risking and specific periods of when you should be raising investment and when you shouldn't be, which are super unique insights that I've not heard anywhere else. Also, these guys are raising another round on Cedars. It's already overfunded, uh, but if you fancy getting your hands dirty uh, from the story you hear, then uh, please check them out. So sit back and enjoy this crazy story of how strong this young guy's hustle is. So thanks for coming down, James. To start off, uh, how do you introduce yourself to people you meet at dinner parties? Introduce myself? Um, oh, God. Uh, tried to run a startup that failed for lack of understanding of technology. So then trained to be a developer, was a very poor developer, worked in VC for a little bit and then found it pronto. You've rehearsed this. You've done, you've done a good job. You're like, I'm coming to do an interview today. I'm gonna... Yeah, bang. That's it. Right? Can I leave? No, that was all minute. Right? Like, done. Right? That's all we need. Right? Efficiency. Um, so I guess that startup yeah. that failed, I think our listeners will really, really benefit from okay. you know, learning what it was. And can you explain de-risking as well to the audience? Yeah, okay. Okay. So, I mean, start with de-risking, uh, or I'll forget that bit. I mean, it's just like, literally like, you know, at every stage of your of your venture that you're building, right, you're trying to de-risk the potential reward that you're that you that your outcome that you have, right? Yeah. And when you when you sit down as two friends in a garage, right, what you're doing is like highly risking has a very, very low chance of success, right? Mm-hmm. And like what you're trying to do constantly is basically increase the likelihood that you're going to have a success of some outcome which is like attractive enough for in our world for someone to give you cash, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as you're having those conversations with those investors, what you want to be doing at every stage is be seen to be, you know, de-risking you know what you're doing and in the beginning when you meet someone for the first time they've got no idea who you are they don't trust you and so the basic steps you do is like you know i'm going to do x by date y and then you go away and you do Uh, that and that's just like a small form of de-risking where it's like wait you've actually delivered what you've said you've built trust with us right and then you also want to be building momentum right it's we're always in you know you're getting invested in momentum and you know, momentum is you know getting you nearer towards your, your ultimate goal, right? So every step you get nearer to it, you should be you know slightly less risky on 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 the, on the way. And it's not always the case, but that's that's largely de-risking. Um, and then the startup was called Unilibri, um, and it was very deliberate. Um, you know, put it either you know Universal Library or one book. It was very much what we were trying to create, and it was a I think like what it actually ended up meaning for a student was that like you go to one place, all your reading lists would be there. You could mm-hmm. like tap anything to buy it, search, you know, look at it, whatever it was, and access all of it in one portal. And then you'd be served like content relevant for your degrees that was there, and everything would be available for your kind of like library system. Yeah, so that was that was that was Unilibri. Um, it was just a great learning experience. Cool. Okay, so then after that, then we get into the juicy stuff. Yeah. Entrepreneur and residence, pay for capital. How mm. did that come about? So I, I arranged to bump into uh, the person that was responsible for hiring that from Playfair Capital, yeah. right? How did you arrange um, to bump into them? Well, so so again, this was this was a guy called Paul from uh, from from General Assembly who had you know let me know about Playfair trying to hire this, and he was like, you know what? She's taking this digital marketing course. If you just you know, ah. so. 
so we came and I hung out at the beginning of this course. Uh -huh. She came in, and uh, James was like, "Oh look, this is uh, this is this is this is James. He was actually really interested in the play fair type thing, whatever." I was like, "Oh, amazing! Hi, I can't remember what I said at all, but it was like outcome that was like, okay, you know what? Come in tomorrow, and uh, and we'll chat tomorrow in the office." And then I came in the office the next day, and I they all all three of the partners at Playfair, Joe, Fetty, and Georgia, and Victoria it was at the time, sat in a room and interviewed me for a little bit. And then they got up uh, uh, Alex from uh, what is now Selden uh, to come up and interview me technically. Um, and uh, they, you know, Playfair fell asleep a little bit at that part of the, yeah. uh, <laughs> the interview, right? And, yeah. uh, and then it was like, okay, Grant. And then, and then I left, and ten minutes later or so, uh, I think Victoria rang me up and was like, yeah, great, that'd be great. When do you want to come and start? And uh, Good fun. But no, so guys, that was the Playfair. That was great. Learned all about that stuff there. Worked with their portfolio companies. Um, <laughs> what was all that stuff you learned? Yeah, no, we this is, this is what you want to know. That's the juicy stuff. What was all that you know, stuff? I learned a bunch of stuff, but yeah, you know, it's going forward. So, like, what startups did you work with? What did you do with them? Oh, God. Yeah. Like, real questions. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, look, the, the overarching thing of all this is that I've already alluded it to as well is that, you know, because you're trying to de-risk, you invest in people that you know that can execute, right? Uh -huh. And so the key thing is to get to know people that invest, right? And prove to them that you can do things, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, basically, I was just going around learning from people that knew more than I did about technology. Um, so how did it work? Was it like Playfair would invest in a company and they'll send you to go and help them out kind of thing? Yeah, and I think it was, it was even... Like it was, they were very, really, really flexible, right? Uh, like in terms of like, you know, James... It's all intents and purposes, like help people out, and then that, that, that's basically my remit, right? And then there are some things that I help with internally, but it's like you know, just go and help people out, right? And uh, so it was like it was like yeah, okay, that there there were some specific things that they got me to help on, like they're doing technical due diligence, some description with someone, like does this make sense and all that sort of stuff. But you know, just kind of like basic, fairly basic stuff in that regard. So, what would you say were your kind of three key takings for how the VC world works from working there? So I think, like one again, it's like I got to how much it is about who you know, and I don't want to say that in a cliched way. In terms of like you need to know these people, and like it's an insider's game, like that. Like mm -hmm. not at all. It's about de-risking. It's like mm -hmm. you need to know these people. They need to have seen you execute and do things and achieve things and behave in a way over a sustained period of time, so that they have faith that when you tell them that you want to do X and you need Y to do it, when they actually give you Y, that you're going to go and achieve X, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least you're going to be somewhere near it. Right? So what uh, are some of the kind of milestones that, if you can, without alluding too much, you can give us examples of? So if if I was say I had a startup, I'd raise uh, a, seed, a good seed round and now I wanted to start talking to VCs what would be kind of good milestones for me to aim, aim for so look it's 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 super uh, super specific to the individual startup um, and everything I say now like it's it's definitely not I mean again like this is one of the things that also actually annoys me in the space if I ever hear anyone say like this is how it's always been done I'm like Jesus Christ we're in the game of doing things <laughs> how they've not been done before yeah, so if there was point. ever a reason not to do that that's not why that's not why to do it again uh -huh. right yeah. and again like VC is like investing in exceptions right like mm -hmm. it's something like you have to be nuts like I always say but I don't say but I think to myself that like I'm exceptional not that like I am exceptionally <laughs> good at something right you you have to think it. but I'm like I'm, in, I'm like I'm the exception I think that I'm yes. going to be the exception that somehow makes it Mm. Why the hell else would you get out of bed and do this shit every day? Otherwise, right? Like you have to believe you're the exception, or you're just insane. Mm. And maybe I'm insane and accept and the exception. But like it's it's like you know, you you have to. So I'm just saying that you know, investing. You are you look for rules and patterns, but you're 
looking for rules and patterns in the exceptions, right? Yeah. So there's always going to be an outlier. There's always going to be something which is different, right? But I think, look, you know, as the, as the, as the cost of building technology has massively decreased over the last 10, 15 years, you know, what people are expecting you to achieve for any given amount of money has, again, also kind of like exponentially increased. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know my, my knowledge, my expertise now is already out of date from back then, and it's very specific to my industry. But, like, I think that, like, basically venture capital is the wrong way of looking at it and it's more like you know, what's the smallest form of risk capital that we can take uh, yeah. and so that they want you know you don't raise money like, we were laughing about me trying to raise two million pounds pre-product right it's stupid mm. right mm -hmm. and actually trying to raise two million pounds pre-revenue is stupid right mm -hmm. so trying to raise two million pounds without a, a hell of a lot of traction uh, and proof about what you're doing is, is, is silly and I'm just trying let's give you some concrete examples it massively depends on whether you're B2C whether you're B2B whether you're paying whether you're free if you are a B2C app which is you know, if you're trying to build a Snapchat or some, a Snapchat or something, right? And you want to raise a Series A, then I expect these days you've got to have you know 10 million, 10 million active users, something yeah, like that, right? Yeah. Like the numbers that you need are, are huge, right? Wow. And even for you to raise something like a, a you know, a, if you want to be a, particularly with best in class investors, and if you want to be raising a, you know, a, a good solid seed at that level, then even you've got to have like you've got to have a track record and things fluctuate all the time particularly like seed right if you've got track records second time founders and for very good reason right like second time founders is a, a, you know. Can, can get away with a lot less than, than much of the stuff and um yeah because you just learn so much you know it's really is a privilege to run these companies because you do you do you do learn so much through through, through doing that but um yeah but if you're if you're, if you're a b2b company you know uh, and you're trying to raise a seed then it may just be enough to have to have you know to have 10 companies paying yeah. you you know paying you for five seats each at, mm -hmm. at ten dollars a month right and that could be enough to prove your concept right mm -hmm. and there's, there's enough of these other people that you that you backed um but again i mean the standards and the bars that you need to hit are, are rising rapidly um and i think that no one should underestimate like how much they need to be able to do and it just puts all the pressure back on the on being able to bootstrap and being able to do more with with less and achieve mm -hmm. as much as you can with with few resources like it's um and uh, yeah, and you should you should always try to make stuff work without having to rely on on, on external capital if you can. Mm -hmm. uh, the reality is a lot of the businesses that people try and build, it's just not possible. Uh, but um, your life will be a hell of a lot easier if you know that you are uh, you know default alive. Uh, there's a great post by Paul Graham recently. I think I think it was Paul Graham, right? Like mm -hmm. default dead or default alive, right? Like you, know, you want to make sure that like you're default alive. Right? Yeah, and, that, and that's challenging mm. for a lot of businesses. Um, and then I guess, so after Playfair Capital, why Italy for an accelerator? <laughs> yeah, so again, so Playfair were like super cool about that. They were like, they knew I was there uh, for a period of time until I wanted to do my next thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then actually, just real brief, what TechPeaks was, was basically the, uh, the province, uh, Trentino, in the north of Italy, was, was paying people from all across the world to basically move to Italy and start a company. So it's more like the entrepreneur first here, right? Where it's not mm -hmm. about teams, it's about individuals, right? Yeah. And who are the talented individuals which you hope, you know, you know, will be able to come together and actually build something. And um, you know, and so and so uh, yeah, I got I got to talk to a whole bunch of them. Uh programs seemed really good. Um I then saw there was like an event on. You know, I was like late on a Sunday night and I saw there was an event on the next day in in Trento, the town where this was based, um about the program. And I was like well, I'm just going to go to the event. Right? <laughs> so, so I had, there was like a British Airways flight at like seven in the morning. Uh, and, you know, I literally booked the flight again, you know, typical one way ticket, you know, a few hours before I fly again, play for, you know, just super flexible, just did it. Didn't have to worry about that. And, uh, and, and turned up in, in, in Italy. Uh, and then again, there's an application process, right? And so, um, 
you know, I'd, I'd learned a lot about application processes by that point and how mm -hmm. the, you know, these things are stupid. Uh, <laughs> so I was just going to play by the stupid rules. And uh, so I just made sure the entire people that were making all the decisions knew, knew, knew who I was. I got out and I made sure they knew who I was, right? People were all over the world applying, right? Like no one had turned up before the applications opened, right? And like made sure the entire team knew who they how, were. How right? did you, so you met them at the events? Yeah, or? I met them at the event. I met them at the event and then I hung around for a few days and I was like using their office and working out of their office. Nice. And like just like, yeah, it was, 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 you know, was there and, you know, and then obviously Simone was sort of renowned as like one of the, one of the best people from the first program. Sure. And then, you know, I wouldn't want to say it was uh, an inside job, but you know, I think that I think that he, you know, may have been involved in the selection process, and, 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 and I would definitely not want to go that far, right? But I mean, you know, I was able to get onto the program and moved out to Italy. And, so, did uh, you go and pitch pronto? No, 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 I had no idea. Okay. I just went and you know, it was like just assessing you as like an individual and. Uh, sure stuff like that and uh no and so it wasn't even prompted that came first i just wanted to work simone and i just wanted to work together and um like you learn that all that matters is the people mm. like an early stage mm -hmm. like these people you know they're, they're, they're asking you questions about your business not really caring about your business but caring like are these answers like sensible are they considered is this person listening to what the feedback I'm giving on this, right? And adapting, not just are they bending over. Like, if I've said something good, are they like taking that on board? If I said something stupid, are they telling me I'm stupid, right? Like, you know, you've got to be able to treat these people on the on the same level as your as you treat your friends, or whatever, right? Um, mm. with, with some respect on top of that, right? But um, it's um, oh God, what was I saying? Um, on the program, right? About about people being the focus, right? And it's that you know, because your idea is just going to change. You're mm -hmm. going to get it wrong. You're going to probably you're probably going to end up somewhere different to where you are right now at the mm. seed stage, right? But what's going to stay the same is the people behind that business, or at mm -hmm. least hopefully, right? So, yes, yeah, so I was there just looking for the right people, and that, that was it. Um, and um, I think that was actually fairly uh, counterintuitive or like antithetical to what most people were doing out there, which was like looking for a great idea. And I was like, I've got 90 of them in an Excel sheet. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and I was just like, you know, everyone have my ideas. I don't mind, right? Mm. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, but then then Simone basically became available, and mm -hmm. uh, and then the, that basically the next day we just started working together. And at that point it was like, okay, like these are the ideas. I think he threw in a couple of ideas he made up on the spot. One of those was like a social network for babies. Um, <laughs> uh, really? That's really? That is the creepiest. Well, I, I mean, actually, in all fair, <laughs> I think it's actually a fairly good idea. You know, like a baby and a cop. Like you'd rather watch like Netflix or something than look after the baby. So you put like an iPad on top of it and you Skype like another baby, and they just like hang out with each other. And, really, like, dude? And, like, really? Like, isn't that a That's good a, idea? No, I don't. I think it's different, man. I don't know. There's a reason why you need to be 14 to have a Facebook account. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty. That's pretty <laughs> creepy, dude. <laughs> two six-month-old babies like interacting with each. Other. But they wouldn't. They, he wouldn't know it's a real person, so he would just kind of. I'm not bored. particularly au fait. Something in their mouth. Like it would have just no. Not particularly <laughs> au fait with the uh, with the development of uh, of human children. I'm afraid. So, yeah. uh, I, 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 which is why I'm very glad that that was not what we ended up working on. Yeah. Uh, so no, there was, there was a whole bunch of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they didn't run with it, so it's fine. It wasn't his idea. Really. Yeah. 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 But you know, having some sort of like uh, subject matter expertise and what you're doing is also very very helpful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you know more about what you're doing than the investor does, and that typically is a, it puts you in a good position. Yeah. Right? Phil, and, uh, Phil knows all about kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making you sound like such a creep. 
<laughs> what? You got one on the way. Oh, what's going on? No, no. No, I've got a nephew. That's about as far as it goes. That made you sound so creepy. Very creepy. Oh. Um, okay. <laughs> so, uh, idea. He agrees to work with you. We know we wanted to work together. Um, you know, we both individually built up reputations uh, for being great at what we did. And again, he was a great engineer, mm. and you know, I was great with the CEO type stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, so we, we we had these ninety ideas. We ranked them on like five metrics. Uh, top ten we ranked across like ten metrics in more detail. Top five, what you're most passionate about, right? Um, but actually, the pitch, the idea was on the Excel sheet was you know, just eat without the choice. That was that was the that was all it said. Just eat without the choice, um, and you know that was all about simplicity. I mentioned it earlier, right? Yeah. And and, mm. and it's like okay, you order pizza. Okay, seventy five percent of all pizza sales come from free pizzas. What do you think? Right? Guess what? What are the free Domino's? What are the okay Domino's? Right? What do you think the free top pizzas at Domino's are? Margarita, margarita, pepperoni, yes, pepperoni, and Texas barbecue, chicken, uh -uh, some type of chicken. Uh -uh, uh -uh. Vegetarian. Oh, right? that was gonna. Yeah. Yeah. Margarita, pepperoni, vegetarian. Seventy-five percent of pizza sales, right? So for like, you know, just for like, you know, basically for the vast majority of buying behavior, you just need a tiny, tiny. Set. You know, if you yeah. don't just eat right here, you've probably got thirty thousand different things you could choose to order, right? Mm. Not an exaggeration, right? There'll be four hundred restaurants, each with two hundred things on their menu, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's daft, right? Now, what you know, all you want is the best. You know, it's like I want burger. I want the best burger from the best restaurant around me to my door now, right? Mm. So that was that was the premise at the beginning. It was like you know, super easy ordering experience to only let you make a good decision, right? Mm. Problem is you had to then let restaurants and stuff like deliver food and make food, and they're not very good at delivering food or making food. So you know, you know the market here in 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 the, in the in the UK for food delivery is basically you know like the deliveries and the takeaways and all that. It's like twenty five percent goes to delivery, seventy five percent goes to the restaurant. Mm. And considering both okay. our backgrounds, we're more like kind of in the restaurant kind of like business, and we're like, well, Christ, you know, food is not three times more difficult than delivery. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, if anything, delivery is three times more difficult than food. Uh, mm. So we're like, this is kind of crazy. And so it's the desire to control the customer experience and be mm. able to like, you know, be control that food as well, coupled with, I guess, like faith in the unit economics and like wanting to have that entire basket um, mm. that meant that we jumped and we, you know, we launched full stack from the beginning, right? And actually, I would, you know, I would never recommend anyone to do that. I said to you before this, right? Yeah. That, you know, we launched a, a technology business, a logistics business and a food business at the same time. And like any one of those three, you know, your chances of success are fairly low, right? Okay. Uh, and doing them all at the same time uh, with a tiny team is, uh, is, 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 is nightmarish, potentially. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We closed to launch London, we closed the pre-seed round uh, by, um, uh, led by Patrick DeLave, uh, the founder of The Next Web. Uh, wow. And uh, I've heard, I've, I know the name, but I can't pick Yeah, he's this awesome, uh, awesome guy. I love the bloke. He's, um, he met us almost in I think week two or three of Pronto, mm -hmm. and uh, and he used to be he he knew Yitzi Grun who was the CEO of Takeaway.com, which is basically the Dutch version of Justy, uh, uh -huh. and so he had an interest in this type of business anyway, and uh, he just followed our progress and we chatted and actually I flew over to spend some time with him in, in the Netherlands, sleep on his couch and no way, I'd say this one this you know actually this is a hilarious like kind of like perspective thing where like I, I sit back and. I go back to when I first entered this world like four or five years ago mm. and all the big names that like you you see and you see in London, right? Where yeah. and the respective business, whether it is Playful, whether it's you know, whether it's Carlos or Reshma from C Camp or mm. like these people now are what I would call like friends, right? And it's like really crazy. Like Patrick Delave, like okay, this guy founded the next web, like this this thing that we would like read all the time, and now this guy is like I can give him a call and he'll like give him the time and like that how that stuff changes is crazy. And I think that mm. and I think for anyone out there, you know, again, 
treat these people as normal people because like if you're being if you're getting to where you want to be they will just be people that are there helping you and your your peers right yeah. but um yeah so they so patrick um we, you know, he was riding around his bike and then we got in his lovely soft top car and we drove to Utrecht. Um, I'm, part of the reason I'm so bad at languages is because I am i can't do pronunciation of anything. Um, so forgive me for saying it all wrong. But uh, we were in uh, Utrecht and uh, went and met this guy. And on reflection, it's kind of like, I went in there and was like, everything you do is wrong. Like my version of takeaway is way better, right? Yeah. Uh, and you can kind of see how like, you know, someone who's proud, he built up basically a billion euro business like can maybe take that the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But um, I knew that when we were having these, this, you know, this debate with this guy in the in the in the meeting, mm-hmm. uh, I could see that you know, Patrick was on my side, mm. right? He was. I could see that he was, you know, kind of like supporting the things that I was saying and, mm. and like that sort of stuff. And yeah, and and the short version is that that turned into him leaving that that pre round, and uh, he brought in a couple of other Dutch angels, uh, Martijn uh, van Dord and uh, Floris uh, uh, Ross van Tonningham, uh, both again awesome, awesome people um, mm-hmm. that have got awesome like entrepreneurial experience. They're all operators. They've actually built things themselves, yeah. right? Which is like. Mm-hmm. Awesome, right uh, in, in the Netherlands, and but yeah, I remember like I had to get a new passport like you know, ten days or fourteen days after that sort of like closed, um, and um, I went and got my picture with uh, so Bronto drivers, Bronto drivers delivering bow ties, yeah. um, and uh, and so I went and got my my picture and my passport taken with me in a in a bow tie, right? So I was mm-hmm. like, this is a ten year reminder that like, you know, cannot give up. And like, it wasn't like I said it's not that it's ever been an option, but like, you know, I just sent a picture to the guys that had just done the round going like, you know, like all in or or, yeah. or I just sent that picture to them all and then Floris emailed Black going like all in, right? Like it. And that's it. And so that's it. You know, it is like I'm like completely <clears throat> committed to make it happen. Um and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I don't I can't remember where we got to. Um but um it's uh I wouldn't. Yeah, we, we 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 when we we launched on the October the first. Like when when you're closing rounds, right? You need a reason to close. You need a trigger. You need like a deadline. You need, mm. a, or it will drag out forever. Yeah, it's drag out forever, forever. And uh, and what we set the That's deadline. Good advice. Yeah. Good advice. Uh, for sure. So what we did is like, look, we're launching on the first of October. If you don't put cash in before the first of October, then the price is going up. Mm. And that mm. was it, right? It's like that's it. Because as soon as we've launched. We've de-risked, yeah. right? Assuming the launch went well, <laughs> you've de-risked, right? Yeah. If you launched, it goes crap. There's two times like never to raise money, right? Just after you've launched or just after you've started trying to raise money, right? It's trying to make money, right? So as soon as you've turned like post-revenue, it's just like trying to make money as soon as you've just launched your product because like everyone's going to like wait and see what happens, right? Mm. Whereas you raise pre-product, then okay, like you're raising to then launch your products and then it doesn't matter if your product goes good or bad, whatever, right? And if you're, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, why like, why companies like Snapchat access like delays trying to make cash? Like why risk trying to make money in case you actually can't make money yeah. when you can raise loads of money off the promise that you might be able to make it some money at some point in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Worry about how you make your business model work in, in the future. Now, that's not what we do in our food delivery, right? It's really great. Like every time we support a user, they're, they're spending money and we're, and we're making, the business is making money, right? But yeah, there's just two, definitely two points to, to be careful about when you, uh, when, when you, when you raise cash. But um, we gone, you know, if you don't give us the cash for the first of October when we launch, price it goes up. That helped it all come together. Did the completely cliched thing where uh, you know there's no bank account to put the put the cash into, <laughs> uh, and it'd be not even a nightmare though because we moved in on the first of October to this like to this warehouse, and um, we had like it was basically just a concrete floor, uh, breeze blocks, uh, in you know, walls, right by the East London Mosque, right like. Um, but we were there, and the kitchen was—I mean, like the kitchen, right? I mean, you can't—it was was like 
the half the size of this room we're in now, right? Mm. I don't know how many square <laughs> well, meters so that's, that is. That's like a closet, basically. Yeah, it's it's absolutely minuscule. So basically, you know, shitty hob, shitty fridge, shitty freezer, tiny little kitchen in the corner. And yeah, we did we did the beginning out of out of that. So and, how much money did you have for yourselves to, to kind of last? How much money from your savings could you have lasted on? So we just we just didn't spend any money. So like we, we the first day we moved in, we're still closing the round, right? And it's just so we, we came to like finally better move into this place and it's like you know it's whatever time it becomes at night whatever it was like oh i need to go to bed like and like okay well i don't have a bed here so <laughs> just slept on the floor i mean i think i had one or two towels or something like that and i can't no remember way. if i used them as a pillow as a as a bed sheet or as a like a, as a as a layer on the floor right but, like <laughs> i mean at the time there was definitely a three-day period where it was just like sort of like some like twilight zone where everything was a little bit like oblivion and it was mm. just like up so early, bed so late, doing so many things that they were just like, we had to get the place ready to even launch, right? Uh, and we, you know, so it's it kind of crazy. I mean, I think that the second or third, maybe I don't know, maybe it was fourth or fifth day, the neighbors next door like threw a mattress out. And so, I, took I, it. I, so I grabbed that mattress <laughs> and then I then I slept on that mattress and I had that mattress for, for however long. And, uh, and yeah, so I just so we were just on the floor in the mattress, and then and and, and no way, this is a crazy story. This is crazy. Yeah. This, is crazy. This, is, this is all like two years ago. This is this is this is yeah. This is this England. Is, we were we were, England, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, were we were we we were we were we were still still living in that kitchen until you know, June last year, right? Um, so you know, so wow. still it's less than a year ago, we were in that in that kitchen because we hadn't closed our proper round yet. So we didn't pay ourselves in that period, and we and we and we because we lived in the kitchen, we didn't worry about it. And then we uh, and we were eating the food, and then that was brutal. Like in the beginning, we kind of like we even like cooked ourselves sometimes. We, we <laughs> there's some hilarious times. Like I wish we, if we had like an employee number one here, I'm sure they'd tell some hilarious stories about some of the beginning. Like imagine like you turn up to your first day at work, and like you know there's always like the artist like oh do you, do you make your desk you know when you turn is it like is it like an IKEA pack on the floor and like yeah. you make your desk and you do it all yourself and it's like you know you do stuff yourself at this business or do you come and it's really nice you're looked after and everything's ready for you. Well mm. at Pronto there just weren't any desks right <laughs> and and it was just an empty room and it was like okay we're going to work on the window windowsill right and 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 like that was how we started right and 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 millie god bless her who who joined us at that point and i think half of her job was just keeping me sane uh but um awesome 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 i'm so glad that she joined when she did and helped us as, as as she did but um it was a, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure she could tell some funny stuff. I can remember one time we, we used to do breakfast at that point as well. And again, and delivery, we just delivery ourselves as well in the beginning. Oh, wow. So, so I've done probably, I don't know, probably 300, 350 deliveries or something. Oh, wow, right? dude. But yeah, so, um, so yeah, we 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 were, we were bootstrapping our ass off, living in the thing as we were. Kept on saying that, and uh, but we we managed to finally find a way for customers to order our food and use the product. And we it appeared that we had this. Actually, people were liking it. And people were ordering frequently, mm. and you know, I think the short basically it was the it was the the frequency of use stats right mm -hmm. um, that uh, allowed us basically to raise that to raise that round. How uh, much was it? Eight hundred thousand pounds. No, no, no. Yeah. The the frequency of usage. Um, so at that point, it was probably basically an average user was ordering like once a week. Right? Uh, at that point, really high, dude. Uh, especially good. for for a sale. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's it. And.
Yeah, so so we, we raised around that allowed us to actually hire some people, move out of the accommodation. Um, and, accommodation uh, in inverted <laughs> commas. All, yeah, all purpose room. The, yeah, the floor. <laughs> move out of the floor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and, the, and then everything's been really expensive ever since, right? It sucks. <laughs> like, we should have just moved more people in. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. All right, there are still a lot of questions I want to ask. Yeah, hit me. Okay. Um, so, first one is when you raised uh, your pre. Pre-seed, probably I'd call it. Um, how, what stage was the product at, and how did you convince the investors before? I'm presuming you, did, you didn't have any kind of statistics there at that point. And did you have a business plan? <laughs> don't waste, don't write a business plan. <laughs> <laughs> don't write a business plan. Do not waste your time. Just do stuff. Like just go and just go and like make your product and sell your product like in its purest form. Just do that. Everything else is a waste of time. It's mm -hmm. just it's just mental masturbation until you until you <laughs> actually got some customers doing something. Yeah, so I'm not a fan of that rubbish. And don't get me wrong, you have to. Again, it's like if you don't know your business inside out and you need yeah. to write a business plan to do that, then write a business plan, right? But like, you know, yeah, you, know you need to know what you're doing inside out, right? So don't get me wrong, right? And you've got to know all of these parts of your business. Um, but yeah, you know, like we we you know, I just think that you, the best laid plans like just become so far from reality that it's mm -hmm. stupid, right? And mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, so on that regard, I think I won't worry about that. And in terms of like, so what did we have when we did our pre-seed? So we we were uh, we were pre-launch shaking your your sorry, your I'm, watch I'm there is gonna sound like thing. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so pre-seed, yeah, pre-seed. So what did we? Yeah, what did we have in have place? Time? Uh, so we had a, I mean, so we we look so, Simone and I, I built out like the front end of the site in like six days, six drunken days in Rieka. Uh, uh -huh. We also won this competition in Rieka, uh, but um, so so uh, we, yeah, we we built out. I built out the front end. Simone built out the back end and built the iOS. So we we launched like a front end on like day six. We made like one euro on day seven, like forcing someone to to order right, and uh, uh -huh. and then we got them food and you know we got a euro, yay, and um, <laughs> and then the, you know iOS launched like two weeks later. Android launched like three weeks after that. Uh, within three weeks, we had a uh, we had uh, apps within the restaurants as well that were feeding orders into the restaurants, which were originally you know fulfilling stuff on behalf no of us. Way. Three right? weeks, though. yeah, three, three weeks, weeks. Three weeks. But yeah, so there was loads of technology built really fast, right? And we we had a few orders, but like we had no real traction, no history of what was going on. Sure. But what we had is again, Patrick who'd seen us like do things over that phase. Everyone was talking about us. We'd won the accelerator. We were seen as like this, you know, this 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 good team and. And, uh, and and again, like Patrick knew, you know, he knew the space from knowing Yitzi and Takeaway.com. And, and yeah, they just, you know, again, true, you know, good angel investors are taking a gamble on some people at that early mm. stage, right? Like I'm trying to be, I'm trying to set the story about like, what did we have by the time we raised that, raised that round was a relationship, a history of executing, uh, a proven ability to build excellent technology. Um, and, 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 a, and a positioning and a, and a potential product that people thought was was was, was very interesting, right? Mm. And, and ultimately, that was that was that was it, right? That was that was it, and that was what allowed us to to raise to raise mm. that to raise that cash. Mm. That's good, perfect. That's what I was looking for. Um, and I guess coming to a close now, if you could pick three qualities from three successful people that you know, what three qualities would they be, and why? So I, I'm not one to. To pin people up in uh, in the in the sky or whatever you put them, people on a pedestal. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I have something more casual. I really dislike Steve Jobs. Ooh, 
Well, what are the points? Why do you dislike him? I think he's a really, really bad example of what we should be hoping the next generation to aspire to be. So, I mean, I don't know. So, I just think that again, like what Steve did again, don't get me wrong, was amazing, and like create an iPhone is a great gadget. But like, I think that if you to put him up as that role model and to to, to worship him, frankly, as it like feels that the tech sense does, it's just ridiculous, mm. ridiculous. Uh-huh. He built a phone. Jesus Christ, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I think, so I'm the guy you're talking about. I have a, he a poster of Steve, Steve on, on my wall. So this is interesting for me. Yeah, um, yeah hit me. Okay, go. Um, okay. Uh, well, the thing is, he, he never wanted to make money. This is, I think, a big misconception about him. When he came That's back at Apple... That's what Steve Wozniak says. Uh, well, when he came back at Apple, he, um, he was working for no pay. They were paying him $1 uh, just because you needed to show something on the, on the sheets. And he didn't even want any equity. So at that time, he was just literally working for free. You know, it wasn't as he was still working to, to, to make more than the billions he had. It, he was legit just working because he wanted to make cool things. Um, so, so what I respect about the dude is he's a nutter. Absolute nutter for what he stood for. So what he stood for was artistry in technology. And that's what he ended up creating. Um, so there's a very famous story of, uh, of him I'll run through quickly. So he was in a hospital being treated for cancer and uh, they, they needed to put him uh, to sleep for, for some sort of the surgery. And he refused to wear the mask that's going to give him the anaesthe- uh, anesthetic because it was badly designed. He said, go away, I am not wearing this mask. You bring me five examples of the best masks you have, I will tell you which mask is best designed and that's the one I'm going to wear. So I just hugely respect this just... Stupidity? Stupidity! Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Stu- I would call it that. It's stupidity, but it's obsession. And I just respect someone who goes, you know, forget what anyone else thinks. You know, forget what you think is right. I This is what I believe in. This is what I'm going to do. And he proved it yeah, right. I think that's the problem in the world. You know, everyone says, like, don't worry what other people think. Yeah. I actually think you really should care what other people think. It's the mm-hmm. reason that that happened. Then someone goes and blows themselves up because they don't care about what other people yeah, think or what true. other people feel, right? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very... Again, Steve did some amazing things, right? I just think yeah. that he could... He, in terms of, like, the way that we worship him, he, like, there are better role models. And that is it. Because yeah. I just want our, I want our kids to have a better example of but what the they thing should is, be. I think you should have role models for different things. So I have, I have three posters on my wall, just three. Mm-hmm. One of Steve Jobs, and that's for business and what I do in, in my life, and kind of my professional life. The second one is, did you guys watch Dragon Ball Z as, as kids? <laughs> I know what you're talking about, but I, yeah. So I, I, have, I have a picture yeah. of, of uh, a character from, the, from there, Goku, and all it says is underneath that, be kind. So, you know, that's, Steve Jobs doesn't give me that. He wasn't <laughs> the kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I have kind of my role model to, to be kind in my mm-hmm. life. And then the third one is of Lewis Hamilton. And, 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 and I think that it's very good caveats, right, to, yeah. to, 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 to your character. And if everyone was that sensible, like, then I think that would be grand. I think that would be grand. Yeah. Woo! Thank so you. that's an emotional ending. Yeah, I think that's so, a good place to, to end. Well, thanks so much for coming down, James. It's, uh, it's been amazing. Thanks very much for having me. So guys, hope you're as inspired from his hustle as we were. In terms of the main points to take away from the episode, so one was de-risking, continually reducing uh, the risk for investors to invest in your business, growing your relationship with them and showing them over a period of time that you're continually hitting your benchmarks and in all likelihood that you'll continue doing so. The next great trick he mentioned was to have a firm deadline when raising investment. And if investors do not commit by then, then the price increases. And that's a great way to create scarcity and to force them uh, into actually signing the docs instead of just talking about it. And the last one is uh, to not to try and raise money after launch 
or after you start monetizing. And that's because investors will just wait and see what happens. So close your rounds before those periods. And to update you guys on what's been going on in our lives uh, and in our businesses. So as you heard in last week's episode, uh, Sweatcoin uh, launched publicly and we got up to 20,000 users downloading within the first week of launch, which was crazy. So generally we, we just did that because we have a really cool concept and it caught on uh, in the media. Um, to give you a bit of background on that, we got into Reuters and Reuters has really good syndication. So in the world of PR, journalists have uh, a target of hits to their website every day. Uh, and uh, to reach those, they don't have enough time to be writing up all of the individual stories. Um, so what they do is when they see a story that's getting a lot of attention within a reputable publication, such as Reuters, they just copy and paste the story into their accounts. So a lot of the places we got press in saw our story in Reuters. And uh, because Reuters is known for having done their research and writing good stories, they felt easy enough about taking the story on board too. So when you guys are going about getting press, Number one, you have to have a cool story that's going to pick up. You know, you're not going to get much press if you have an average kind of t-shirt printing business unless you do something cool around it. So either have a cool product or a cool story. Um, and number two, focus all your energy on getting into one strong, strong publication like Reuters, which has good syndication with other journalists. And uh, you'll be surprised to see what happens. And another piece of really cool news is that Phil got onto uh, the Guestless podcast uh, with Jason Allen Scott. So check that out so you really get to sit in Phil's chair and uh, look at life from his uh, point of view. And that's it for this week, guys. We have some really cool uh, episodes lined up, including uh, an interview with uh, a 28-year-old who sold his business for $70 million. So stay tuned and we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.